Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. This is Michael J. Sutton. Today is January the 7th, 2024. Freedom Matters Today looks at freedom from a Christian perspective. Our themes are freedom from fascism and tyranny, freedom from sin and death, freedom from guilt and shame, freedom from past and prejudice, freedom from fear and despair, and freedom from war and conflict. As looking at these issues from a Christian perspective, we are challenged, encouraged and exhorted to go to the Bible and to investigate, understand and ponder what is said there. For we believe that the Bible is God's word to us, that God speaks through his word, that he speaks to us, he speaks to our hearts, that his spirit opens our eyes and our minds and our hearts to what God is saying, and that at the end of the day, God is interested in giving us true freedom. For true freedom is about the person, the identity, the words and the actions of Jesus. If we look at universe and life and our lives and our world, as a river, then a giant rock has been thrown into that river. And that rock is the the Son, Jesus Christ, and all the ripples that go out from this rock are all the discussions of politics and ethics and sociology and economics. They're interesting in and of themselves. Their discussion of freedom is interesting. We can be curious about it. We can debate it and discuss it. But the heart of freedom is about God and what God has given us in Jesus. And true freedom is freedom that comes from God. Jesus said that if the Son shall set you free, then you shall be truly free. And St. Paul tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's a wonderful thing to be free. People talk about freedom all the time. In politics in particular, certainly since COVID hysteria, they talk about freedom. Politicians talk about freedom and democracy. We hear it in politics and media, and scholars talk about it. But true freedom is of the heart. True freedom comes from God. In our series, Freedom from past and prejudice, we have been looking at the things that define us and bind us and the things which prevent us from knowing God and ourselves. For Jesus, his past both defined and bound him in life and death. Freedom from prejudice is the way we see ourselves and others based on the things that divide us. For Jesus, prejudice was a stumbling block for those close to him and nonsense to those who were not. But it is Jesus, the Son of God, the message of God, who enables us to see our past and confront our prejudice so we might live in complete freedom. So far we have seen that the Son of God is the message of God, the final word of God to those whose ancestors heard God speak in many and various ways through the prophets. We have also discovered that this Son, Jesus of Nazareth, is both the heir to all things and the one through whom God created the world. 
we discovered how Jesus radiates the person of God and how he is the same substance as God. We also discovered how Jesus sustains the whole world by his word and that he provided cleansing for sin. But where is Jesus now? This is an interesting question. Where is he? Some would say that he's dead, and his bones are settled in some ancient tomb in Palestine, along with the thousands in more recent time that have been the victims of this latest war on humanity, this intentional genocide in Gaza. If you were a Jew of the first century, then you would have said that the bones of Jesus lay in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and that his spirit would have resided in Sheol, or the place of the dead, with all the others. Some people held to the belief in the resurrection of the dead and on the last days, such as Martha, the sister of Mary, the sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus was said to have raised from the dead. No doubt many Jews who followed Jesus held to the proposition that he was raised from the dead. Some held to the view that he ascended into heaven, and the Acts of the Apostles intimates this. The resurrection of Jesus, it is said, was the reason for galvanizing the early Christians together to change the world. I don't believe so. I don't believe it was the resurrection. I believe the event of the resurrection for the disciples was indeed a profound event. But so was his ascension into heaven. And so was their realization who he was. In other words, his identity. We talk a lot about identity today. And it is important for us to talk about the identity of God and God's pronouns. How God defines himself. And the author to the letter of the letter to the Hebrews tells us in the first few verses of the first chapter the identity of Jesus. And we must all, in our own way and in our own time, answer the question, who is Jesus? Jesus had, in effect, returned home to be with his Father in heaven. And yet he was not the same as he had undergone a profound change as a human being, taking upon himself earthly clothes and then assuming new clothes following his resurrection. The phrase, sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, suggests that Jesus has returned home to be with the King of heaven. And even to assert this, or suppose this, or in or um, think this, would have been deeply offensive to and puzzling for many of the men and women who would have read this letter or have had this letter passed to them. It was not simply the position of being at the right hand of God, but it was also the fact that Jesus had now finished his work. This is something that we find very difficult to understand. The work of Jesus is finished. It is done. There's nothing more for him to do other than live out his relationship with us and with his Father in heaven as a result of what he did on earth. So his work is done and so he rests, in a way, before his Father in heaven. And I think that is why Jesus calls himself the the Lord of the Sabbath, because he also rested from his work. After dying for sin, he sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
This itself is quite remarkable, and for us this is the most incredible part. For much of our thinking about Jesus is that he is important for our lives today, and that he continues to work, and he continues to be with his people, which is true. Yet his most important and most decisive work is complete. And now Jesus, the Son of God, sits at the right hand of God. This means also that what he did must have been very important, and this important thing was sufficient for him to rest from his work to sit at the right hand of God. We must never diminish, downplay, or seek to ignore the work of Jesus on the cross. So many Christians don't seem to be that interested in it these days. For them, it's about the culture war. It's fighting gays or transgender people or fighting women or migrants or saying that Jesus is a conservative. He votes for the Republicans or the the right wing and that Jesus is against Marxists and Jesus is against communists. And so Christianity is recruited in the culture war or they fight amongst themselves as to who is the true believer, whether it's the Presbyterian or the Catholic or the Protestant or the Orthodox, and who's right and who's wrong and who's in and who's out and who's up and who's down. But so few speak about Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and ascension. For most Christians, Jesus is but a footnote to their life. And it's a great tragedy because If Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, it means that what he has done accomplished something so profound that he is now resting next to the Father. His work is done. It seems to me that the identity of Jesus not only concerns his work, but also his current location. For if he sits at the right hand of God, it means that God himself is very comfortable for him to be there. And if the majesty on high permits him to sit there, it also means that the work that God had for him to do is also finished. Why then do we live as if the work of Jesus is ongoing and still unfinished? Why do we talk about the cross as if it's an ongoing thing? Why do our churches have Jesus hanging on the cross? Why, aren't, why isn't the cross empty? For Jesus died once He died once for all for sin, so that we might live and have faith in him, that we might be a new creation, that we might be new people. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and Jesus returned to the Father. And so for me, it seems to me that if Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, he has assumed his position, his final position, in this universe, that he is seated there for a reason and he will return to judge the living and the dead. And we await his return and we say, come Lord Jesus. We want his return, we desire his return, but it isn't about the politics and the last day theology and the rise of the Antichrist and the rise of the man of lawlessness or it's the identity of the Gaga Magog or... uh, or about Iran, or Israel, and Russia, and blah, 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 blah. It's not about any of those things. Those things are the fictional inventions of men who just want to make a lot of money. The most important thing is that Jesus decisively defeated sin. 
He decisively defeated Diabolos. He decisively defeated death. And at the cross, he died for sin. Once for all, and everyone who placed their faith and trust in him has eternal life. And all we must do then is follow him all our days. So why then do we live as if the work of Jesus is ongoing and unfinished? It seems to me that the identity of the Son hinges on what he has done as a result of who he is and a consequence of where he is from. Let me say that again. It seems to me that the identity of the Son hinges on what he has done as a result of who he is and a consequence of where he's from. Jesus, the Son of God, is from eternity past. He provided cleansing for sin and now rests from his work alongside the Father in heaven. We need to think more about this Son of God, more about his identity, and more about what this means for our lives. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God.